Welcome to the UWA Alumni Podcast. I'm Liberty Kramer and joining me is Sana Peden. Sana is a study skills advisor here at UWA with a background in cultural history and film studies. She completed her PhD in 2012 and is an accomplished poet with a collection on the way. So Sana, let's start with the beginning. Tell me your story. Where were you born? Right. Um, so thank you very much. I was born in Finland back in the early 80s. And when I was about four, my family moved to Malaysia because of my dad's work. So we were there for about four years altogether. So that's my parents, my sister, myself, my brother was born there. So I learned English in Malaysia, started my education at the international school there. And then when I was about eight, we moved back to Finland, spent most of my teenage years there and moved to Australia for year 12. And I've been here ever since. So Malaysia's about as far from Finland as I can imagine. Well, Australia's further away. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so when you uh, came to Perth in year 12, you then came to study at UWA? Yeah, that's right. What did you study? So I did a Bachelor of Arts and then followed that up with an honours degree and then a couple of years later did did my PhD. And while I was do- doing my Bachelor's, I majored in French and European Studies and then honours and, and PhD was in European Studies. So I really love my degree and my eclectic mix of units that I studied. What was the most sort of oddball or out of left field thing that you did in your study? Well, I, I really enjoyed being able to study a huge range of things as, as well. So, you know, doing, doing those two, two majors, but then having the ability to just study all sorts of things. So I, I did English and classics, linguistics, Indonesian, anthropology, just all sorts of different mm-hmm. things. And I think one of the, one of the most in- interesting things things for me and and really thinking about it probably the one of the really most important things that drew me to UWA in in the first place was this unit called introduction to classical languages where you got to do a little bit of latin a little bit of greek and i think when i'd been thinking about going to university growing up being able to study latin was one of these amazing things that that seemed like the thing you do at at university i didn't really know anything i wanted to do beyond that but it seemed to of capture this idea of what it is to be a scholar. So that was really amazing getting to getting to do that. And of course when you do classics at UWA you come across Professor John Melville Jones who's a who's a sort of part of the folk mythology of the university. He's been here for over 60 years and is just an amazing character. And um, and doing the Shakespeare in film unit in, in English was amazing, you know, getting to watch different versions of Richard III and Henry V and, and looking at how the time in which those films were made then impacted on how they depict war or, or, or anything else. So you get to do a lot of really, really interesting things um, tailored to what your, what your particular particularly interests and skills are. But then I think at, at some point, particularly as an art student, you also just look at your life and realize that that is completely normal to be surrounded by peacocks. <laughs> <laughs> that that is that is not a usual thing, but it just becomes part of your daily experience. So you just have these really amazing aspects of of, you know, life and literature and and just wildlife that you accept as normal. And that's one of the really amazing things I think about studying studying arts more broadly, but certainly studying at UWA as well. You just get these just these amazing experiences and and you just realize that hang on this is an amazing privilege I'm getting to do something really really unique so you had this pretty wild range of subjects you were studying uh wildlife around you while you were (laughs) here as well um can you tell me about one of the hobbies that you were taking at university 
Ah, okay. So I was a member of the UWA fencing club, and I'd started fencing when when I came to Australia for year twelve. But I was a member of the UWA fencing club for many years. I was on on the committee for a while as well. I competed in in competitions at state level and and nationally as well. I represented UWA at Intervarsity one year. I think I because I I started with foil, which is the the weapon you usually start with, and then then started doing saber later on and I can get into the whole distinction of what these different weapons are but that's not really the point <laughs> point here but I think I was in a in an epee team at um at Intervarsity and we even got a medal which which was quite unique for me because I'm not an epee fencer and 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 this was you know really high level competition so it was it was really great getting to getting to go to different levels of competition representing the club or the state or the university was a really good experience as well so you've got Latin, you've got peacocks, you've got fencing. <laughs> that sounds like a really beautiful UWA experience. It's amazing. To me. Look, it's it's a really wonderful place to just develop yourself and get to do all sorts of fun stuff. Okay, so what were you doing uh, when you finished your undergraduate degree? Right. So when I finished my undergraduate degree, I think by the time I'd finished honors, I more or less knew that I wanted to do do more study. And I think this sort of goes hand in hand with the fascination with um, with Latin and, and Greek and so on, is that I'd had this image of myself as a student. I couldn't really think what else I wanted to to do with my life apart from just be a student. And and so the idea of doing a PhD and being able to be a professional student was about the most amazing thing I could think about. However, being a international student at the time, it would have been really rather expensive to to do that. So what I was also waiting for at the time was getting my permanent residency. And and so during during that two year waiting period it limits a little bit in, in terms of what you can what you can um, do by way of work and so on. So I had this sort of two year period waiting waiting for the PR status that was also sort of my waiting period to get to the PhD. That was that was really something I was looking forward to at that point. And so you came back to UWA to do the PhD and that was something that you always thought you'd do. What actually sparked that for you? So something that well I suppose the the sparking for it came during that honors year with you know, in discussions with my supervisor, Katie Tonkin, and, you know, knowing that I was doing well in honours and recognising that, okay, this is probably something I can actually do. And in that two-year period, while I was waiting to really be able to commit to that, I was looking for things that I might be interested in doing. And I remember being at, at, at Somerville in one of the festival screenings, and they were showing The Man Without a Past by a Finnish director called Akikauris Maggie and I became really aware of the fact that people around me were were sort of laughing at different bits to what I was laughing at you know they were they were amused by something that you know may have been interesting for me but wasn't wasn't funny to the same degree and the things that I found funny they necessarily didn't and I had this really urgent need to just explain to them why something was funny why they should have been laughing at something and how a particular translation just did not capture the full irony of the of that whole exchange in in Finnish. So, so that really got me interested in that film. And then ultimately, I did my PhD on that particular filmmaker's films more more broadly, with you know respect to national identity and and so on. But I really had this had this desire to to explain that and teach that. And so I was really lucky to be able to start doing some teaching while I was doing my PhD as well. 
That's pretty amazing. I think most people would probably um, explain the comedy to a friend after the film, but instead you wrote a whole PhD on it. So Look, yeah, I made that my life. <laughs> That's magnificent. <laughs> okay, so we actually first met because you were my unit coordinator. So when did you start teaching? So I started teaching in 2006, so this is when I started my PhD as well. And, and I taught throughout the PhD during tutoring, lecturing, unit coordinating. And I mean, in, in fact, I had done, done a lecture um, just after after honours as well. But throughout my PhD, I was doing doing teaching of all different kinds at different levels of um, of units. And it was all, all within European studies and, and communication studies. And, and yeah, so that was a really big part of my life. And I'm really pleased I was able to do that. Yeah, great. So how did you find that transformation from being a student to being a teacher, especially doing a lecture right after you finished honours? You're still very much in that kind of uh, thought process of seeing how the sausage is made at the same time as you're studying. So what was that experience like for you? Seeing how the sausage is made. <laughs> While still being the cow yourself. Yes. Um, <laughs> we can take this metaphor very far if we want to. Mm. Um, okay, so I, I think to a, to a certain extent there isn't a distinction between being a student and being being a teacher because, and I mean it sounds so much like a cliche that you're constantly learning and, and so on. But particularly in, in that university environment where you are, where you're researching and teaching and you're looking for ways that those two things come together and and you're constantly researching more about the things that, that you are teaching. I guess in, in a more you know, concrete way, things that I I found that I was, that sort of changed my perspective a little bit about being a, a student when I started teaching was was marking. You know, while I've been doing my bachelor's, I had no idea why I was getting the marks I was getting, you know, which were sort of reasonable to good, occasional very good ones there. But, you know, it was r- fairly even. But I had no idea why. You know, w- where does the 72 come from, for example? But then when I started marking, that's when I realized that, oh, that's how you structure an argument. This is what a theoretical framework actually looks like. And and that just made me understand myself as, as a student and as a writer um, a lot better than I was really expecting it to, and and I think that was that was really useful to be able to then think about my own writing in terms of all right, how does it come across to the reader, not just to me myself and what I want to communicate, but what what are other people going to be looking for, looking for from it, and I guess the, another thing that you then do come to appreciate is is just how much work it is. You. You know, as a as a student, you might see you know your you see your tutor in in the tutorials or or lectures. You're waiting for your um, your marks to come back and and getting the feedback and so on. And then, as the person doing all of that, you realize that okay, there are hours and hours of preparation for every single aspect of it. And then you suddenly realize why your supervisors are running around looking harried and 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 slightly put off when you ask them about. So how was your summer holiday? When they kind of look at you and go, "What holiday? What? What's a weekend?" <laughs> so it sounds as though being a student might have made you a better teacher, and being a teacher might have made you a better student. Oh, that's that's a that's a very lovely way of putting it. <laughs> So tell me, what did you love most about teaching? Did you have one thing that you were particularly proud of? Oh, um, I, I, well, I, I suppose one of the, the best things about teaching is being able to have those interactions and, and relationships with, with students. You meet some really lovely ones, including your good self. <laughs> <Thank> you. uh, <laughs> 
the fact that you've got that ability to experiment and do new kinds of things, try different kinds of assessment types, you're doing a lot of that research and bringing a lot of new current things in into the work that you're doing. In my particular case, I was really pleased about the fact that I was able to introduce a, um, a, a lecture and some material on the Eurovision Song Contest into, into one of the units I was teaching. That was really great. Um, so yeah, that's possibly one of one of my prouder achievements from my educational career. <laughs> Fantastic. So both doing a PhD and teaching, we've talked about they're both more intensive than they kind of look on the tin. Uh, so partway through your PhD in your free time, you decided to. Um, so I got married mm-hmm. and and I had a child mm-hmm. and I moved house as well, which is a which is a big thing. A pretty solid achievement. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you, you do you do these things in, in terms of your career and study, but then all sorts of other things happen as well. And, and, you know, they're a big part of your life. And, you know, I'm still married. I still have the child. I still have the house. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a pretty obvious question. But how on earth did you manage all of that? Neither PhDs nor babies are particularly famous for sticking to strict schedules. How did you pull that off? I have no idea. It, it just sort of happened. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 I really don't like the term work-life balance because I think it Im- implies that you're sort of trading one off against the other and, mm-hmm. and there's this um, certain, or there's another uncertainty and, and, um, and danger about it. But you do need to be able to understand what it is that you want from your life, what different aspects you're willing to change and and where you can find the time and and how these things work with each other as well. So for example, my um my partner took parental leave for for a few months when when our child was born, which meant that I could sort of ease back in into into study and work. We both worked part-time for a long time, so so having having that partnership at 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 home was really important because that then gives that time for for the study and work as well and and so it is it is about working together with with a partner if you have a partner um and and also looking for looking for that kind of space where you become comfortable and I remember having this really sort of serene feeling at some point where I didn't feel like I should have been looking after my child when I was doing my research and I didn't feel like I should have been doing my research when I was looking after my child. It was just this wonderful feeling that whatever I was doing was the thing I should be doing at that particular point in time. And, you know, you recognize that these things take up a lot of time and, and you know, something like research and teaching that very rarely is a nine to five job at the best of times. So you do need to be able to if not entirely close off um, sections of, of your week to do one particular thing, because that doesn't always always work out. Um, but, you know, being forgiving towards yourself, being able to communicate these things with, with the people around you so that you're, everyone's sort of um, a moving component and you can, you can develop and, and change your plans together. And, you know, it really, really helps that you're working in an environment where you can be open about the fact that you're, you, know, you have certain um, um, care duties at home or you, you're not able to come to something because your child's sick or, or you know, you are able to do, do something but you're just going to bring the baby along and, and that's, that's great and, and that's something that I found was really, um, really useful um, about being at UWA as well as that people are really 
really sort of open and and accepting and re- ready to ready to support people with families as well. That's really lovely to hear. Um, so tell me, what did life look like post PhD? Right. So post PhD. Um, so after I graduated, I started working at the Graduate School of Education here. So I did some marketing and research work there. But I was also then teaching in the arts faculty as well. So going back to coordinating units and, and teaching teaching the European Studies units that I was really, um, really attached to. So the, the first year first year unit that was all about European contemporary culture that had the European Studies, um, Eurovision Song Contest element to it as well, and Civilization and Barbarism, which is basically all about sex and death through <laughs> through European history. Amazing. So what kind of period in history does that cover? Right. Well, so that that started basically from Greek myth and, and then going going through to to the present day, looking at different kinds of texts, um, so novels and films and, and and so on. And then looking at, at those in in context in, in re- relation to some of the the darker aspects of, of the human experience. And then connecting connecting that to to some, you know, contemporary developments, you know, refugee crises, genocides and, and so on. So you've, you've got got a really good understanding of the of the intellectual history of some of these, these mm. con- concepts. What is civilization? What is barbarism? How do they relate to each other? How do we frame them? How tied are they to to the particular culture and time that we're talking about? That's super interesting. So what kind of background do you need to wind up? Like, how did you come to be teaching into the, the sex and death unit? <laughs> what's what's the qualification required to teach that topic? Oh, well, to be fair, that's not what I write in my CV. So. <laughs> Um, look, with with all of these kinds of things, the the fact that you you have that capacity to do research at a um, at a high level and in a broad range of of topics, you have that I- interest and and um, and and some kind of of experience in studying intellectual history and and you know, critical textual analysis. The fact that you are also surrounded by good colleagues that you can you can ask questions from and 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 have as have as a resource as well because you can't be an expert in in everything so you bring these particular kinds of kinds of skills and and interests and then then you you know you you shape the the teaching and the research based on on that and you end up learning a lot about yourself in the process as well and at that point was lecturing something you wanted to do forever was that part of your identity oh that's a very deep question <laughs> um it was something that I, I really wanted wanted to do, and it was a big part of it was a big part of who who I felt I was, and 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 it, it was really really enjoyable. I got got a lot out of it, and as I say, I did did learn a lot about myself in in that process, and and I, it was something that that gave me um, a lot of things that I was I was looking for. So, for example, before I started doing doing my PhD I in in that two-year period I had I had a few different different jobs and and you know somewhere not necessarily tremendously enjoyable and one of the things that, that you know not going into too much detail about it but something that I realized I really wanted in in a position where I realized I didn't have any of it was for for one having that having that ability to to engage in in a critical intellectual way to be able to put some of those 
skills around writing in, into into practice. You know, you, you finish with any kind of arts degree and, and that's really what you specialise in. You specialise in, in research, in writing, in understanding different texts, whether they're novels or, or, or films or music or news items. This is, you know, you're, you're analysing things, you're critically engaging with them. And, and having been in a position where I really wasn't able to do that, then being able to do that at a at a really high level as a as a lecturer, being able to um, develop those kinds of skills in in other people as well was really really a wonderful experience, and it is something that I um, I thought about doing doing long term. So I was applying for academic jobs and and thinking about how how I might shape this into into a longer term career. Um, but you know the academic job market is fairly unforgiving, and then at some point I realized that oh actually. This probably isn't going to work out. And then also looking at how much time it takes. You know, it does colonize your weekends and your evenings. And I thought, is this really the thing I want to do? Having had that really wonderful, serene moment of, you know, I'm doing exactly the right thing at, mm-hmm. at exactly the right time. And that wasn't really the case at, at a certain point anymore. And I thought, okay, I need to get get back to that. Um but then, you know, at, at the same time, um, it's not as if I was necessarily rejecting a huge amount of offers as well. So it was sort of this conscious uncoupling between between myself and academia. And what did you do after that? So after that, once I once I really decided that okay, I I enjoy the kinds of things that I'm doing, but it's not necessarily something I want to pursue as as a career anymore. I was really really fortunate in that I was able to start work in in the team I'm in currently, which is Study Smarter. So we're the the central academic support unit at UWA. We teach academic writing, presentation skills, English language, numeracy, and so on. So we get to have a lot of contact with students, but there's no marking. So, you know, I get to have my weekends and and my evenings back to myself, which which is really lovely. So what do you think is your favorite part about the workplace? My favorite part about the workplace, um, the people I worked with, is is really, really important. You know, from from doing that work in in lecturing, where you're constantly talking with other people, you're finding ideas, and and you're you're getting some really good resources and input from from the people around you. The team I'm in currently, you know, everyone's really really supportive. The fact that you're able to have those those friendships and and productive collegial relationships is really important. That's really what, what for me makes a workplace, workplace Im, um, valuable and, and, and enjoyable as well. Um, something that I've really in, enjoyed in, in my time at UWA has also been things like getting more involved with, with the union, um, the NTEU, um, you know, first as a, as a delegate, then as a member of the branch committee, I represented professional staff in, in the most recent round of enterprise bargaining, so you know, having that, having that opportunity to, to make the workplace better as well, really amazing thing to be able to do. And yeah, I think over, over time as well, when you become more, more secure in where you are, and and that that gives a, a, a certain a certain kind of enjoyment as as well in in that you're doing the work you you want to do, you're working with the kinds of people you want to work in, and and you understand the place where you're working in a way that you can also also see where you can um, make a difference in improving certain areas. Um, and certainly from that from that union point of view, one of the things I, I really, really believe is that the more secure you are in your work, the more you need to use that, that kind of privilege to advocate for people who might not 
feel like they're in a position to do that for themselves. So it's it's never just a case of doing something for yourself. It's also recognizing what do you have that can then become a, a resource for the people around you as well. I couldn't agree more, actually. <laughs> um, so looking back at your life and your career, is this um, has it followed a kind of plan? Would you describe yourself as someone who has a plan? Uh, no. no. I, <laughs> I am not a planner. Um, yeah, for, for me, a lot of things just have fallen into place. And I mean, having talked about things like wanting to to sort of study Latin and, and being this lifelong student and so on, it might sound like there's been a plan, but no, there have been certain things that I know I want and that I um, know are rewarding, but I've never really known what kind of shape they end up end up coming in. I think I think one of the most important things for for anyone, no matter what it is that you're you're doing, is to recognize who it is that you are and what it is that you want. And whether you're thinking about you know this particular week or you've got a five year plan or or whatever, but it is about recognizing what it is that that motivates you, what it is that makes makes you happy, and and being open to those things changing as well. So you don't need to be be wedded to one particular decision, one particular path for, you know, not necessarily even the rest of your life, but if you decide at some point that, okay, within five years I want to do this with my life. But then at somewhere along the line you realize that, no, actually that's not quite what works for me. You can change. You don't need to kind of get to that that point and then change your, your life trajectory. Um, so, you know, I, I knew at some point that, you know, being, being a lecturer, being an academic would on the one hand, be a great career, but on the other hand, it wouldn't. And at that point, I made that decision that, you know, actually, um, not being an academic was was more um, attractive to me. And so, so you know, you make these make these changes along along the way, um, and recognizing whatever it is that again, what motivates you, whether it's a financial reward, whether it's having more autonomy at work, whether it's having a promotion, whether it's having the kind of flexible arrangements that that allows you to take time to look after your child or or go back to university to study the study the units you didn't have the opportunity to when when you when you were younger and and all these kinds of things they all depend on on you knowing knowing who you are knowing knowing your rights at work you know this comes back to this idea of of being a member of the union and and using using your resources to um, to improve the the conditions of people people around you and you need to know what those conditions are you need to know what you want from those conditions you need to know what what you have have access to and one of the things that I've learned along the way from not having a plan and um, not really knowing exactly where I want to go but knowing the kinds of things that I'm interested and and what I want to not so much achieve from life but what I want to what I want to be what I want to experience a different different points um, has just been that awareness of yourself and 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 knowing the kind of support you have from either those sort of legislated rights to to the people around you who make your make your community and and I guess in, in terms of some of the one one example from this my complete inability or or um, not maybe not even inability to, to plan but just things change dramatically so for example, I'm I'm a poet these days. I do a lot of performances. I really enjoy writing poetry, which 
I would not have guessed three years ago. I had not written a single poem three years ago. And then suddenly it became this big part of my life, partly because I had my weekends and, and evenings back to myself. And I thought, okay, I still have all this desire to write and, and creative energy and, and so on. What do I do with it? So then I started doing creative writing and, and, and poetry. And now I get to be one of the feature poets at the Poetry Festival this year. I've got a poetry collection coming out. So, you know, this is all, all stuff that I did not plan for. I'm really pleased it's happened for me and and it does all come back to just figuring out what I want moment by moment and then it all chains together into into something that you can fit a narrative to retrospectively as I'm doing now. Thank you Sana this has been a fantastically interesting chat um, what's the name of your chapbook that oh, you have coming out? The name of the chapbook is Straight Lines and it's coming out with Mulla Mulla Press I'm sure we're all looking forward to reading that thank you very much. Thank you very much Thank you for downloading today's podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. At UWA, we help connect alumni with each other in our university through regular events on campus, across Australia and the globe. To ensure you don't miss out on events near you, make sure your contact details are up to date and follow UWA alumni on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.